0: Genesis 30. Um, I hope you're enjoying Genesis. Uh, it's becoming my favorite book. Uh, it's just amazing. The progression of it, and it keeps getting thicker, and this chapter, it will get weirder, quite a bit weirder, uh, but that's really good, too, as well. So we've seen Jacob, this kind of liar, cheat guy, gets kicked out of his home. He meets Laban who's a better liar and a cheater. Um, uh, he cheats him out of his wife. He ends up with two wives, which is one more wife than anyone needs. Um, and in this chapter, it's gonna go from bad to worse. Uh, not only are there two wives sisters, but then in this chapter, he's gonna end up with four wives. So that's three more wives than any man needs. So it's gonna get really weird. And you're, you're reading this chapter, and if you're thinking like, if you've read, the, don't know the story, if you're reading Genesis for the first time, you have to be asking this question like, what is God doing with these people? I mean, what in the world? Jacob, this liar, this cheat. Laban, this worst liar, this cheater. Jacob, two wives, now he's gonna have four wives. Like what in the world? God, I thought you were trying to save humanity. Isn't that what Genesis 12 is about? Your promise is to bless all the nations that there's coming, this hope, this promise. You just gotta be asking like, why are you doing this? How are you gonna reclaim humanity through these people? And this chapter, it's it's one of the like dips where it's like, oh my goodness, insanity. But we're gonna read a lot of scripture tonight because I wanna get to the point that maybe a little glimmer starts to appear, all right? So Genesis 30, verse one. This is, you could title this, Baby Wars. You'll see why. It's what it is. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him, her servant Bilhah, as a wife. And Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan or judge. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, or literally, I won. That's really his name. I'm winning. <laughs> hey, I'm winning. Come here. It's <laughs> just terrible. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then <laughs> Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gadzooks. (laughs) No, just Gad. (laughs) Leah, which is actually, means good fortune, cookie. Uh, Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy I am, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher, which literally means Happy, happy, come here. I'm not feeling very happy. Come here, happy. Just dysfunction, right? If Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebecca were dysfunctional, these people are Jerry Springer. It just keeps getting like, it's baby wars and the names of each baby is really telling you like the circumstances that are happening in this family. It's crazy. You can just trace like what's going on by looking at the kids and their names. And the Bible will do that. Um, If you know the book of Hosea, Hosea is told to marry a woman of ill repute, uh, a woman of the night. So he marries her. They have some kids. And then I think it's his third son. He names the third son, not my child. So you can imagine like what's going on with that one. That one's not my kid. I'm sorry. So Often names represent what's happening and all these names have this kind of connotation to them, right? So this baby war, this craziness, this two wives to four wives, what's the fuel for it? Envy, right? Verse one, Rachel saw she did not bear Jacob children and she envied her children sister. That's the fuel. That's what explodes this whole thing. Jealousy and envy are twins, but they're different. Jealousy is over something that I have, possessive, controlling. That's jealousy. Envy is for something I don't have. And it's one of the seven deadly sins. Jesus, when he lists out his list of really wicked stuff, it's Mark chapter seven, envy makes his list. And envy, very often, it works through culture. Culture tells us what we should be envious of. So back in this time, 3,800 years ago, a woman got her value, according to that culture, by how many babies she popped out. So culture was telling Rachel, you're nothing. You're worthless unless you have some babies. So culture's informing her about that problem, and then she starts feeling envious. I gotta have kids, I gotta have kids, I gotta have kids. I think very often that's how envy works. Envy actually is culturally driven, like our culture, I think today even, our culture drives us to be envious of something, and then on the backside it says, I can supply it for you, right? What do we call that? The US economy. That's what it's called. Hey, you need this thing. And guess what? We've got it for you, all right? You, you like search for anything online now and then you go to another website. What are the advertisers right over on the side? Like whatever it was you're looking for. If I was looking for a, a, a hitch for my truck, man, every single advertisement is, hitch, I got a hitch for you, I got a hitch for you. We've got the best hitch for you. This is a gold-plated hitch. Like, just keeps on, now, hey, you need this hitch. If you have this hitch, you will be very, very happy. It's crazy. And um, social media is really good at it. I call one of them Insta Envy instead of Instagram. Because it's like, whoa, look at that. Look at that picture of somebody. Look at that vacation they're taking. Look at that food they're eating. Look at the clothing they just got. I want to create my own social media, just like Insta Envy, Beside every picture that gets posted, then it also takes a snapshot of your credit card bill. Just post them right by side by side. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Okay, you can have that, but it's 10K. So it, very often envy is culturally created and the culture is here, our culture especially says, here's how to satisfy it. Well, oh, man, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with the envy? I mean, capitalism's built on it. We wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for envy. Notice in our story, Envy is a thief to Rachel. She could be enjoying right now being an aunt. Like, hey, I just get to be Aunt Rachel right now. I love being an uncle. We have a whole bunch of kids in the Heverly-Burkwest crew. Like it's a massive crew. And being an uncle is the best. You get to take the kids and like spoil them and feed them sugar. And when they start to spin out, you just send them home. Like, bye-bye. I love that. That's really cool. You just can be the good guy. You don't have to discipline or tell them no, or it's just you gotta be the good guy. She's missing out on the blessing of being Aunt Rachel because she's so plagued right now by I don't have my own. It's a bummer. Right? She can't enjoy her marriage. Right? She's angry at Jacob. Jacob, give me kids or I die. Jacob's like, look, I'm having kids over here with your sister. Not my problem, all right? It's not my issue. I don't know here what I'm supposed to do, right? I know you think I'm God, but you know, that's kind of cool, but I can't do anything about this. So it's ruining her marriage as well. Because men, if you don't know this yet, wives, men love to be providers and fix-its. Jacob's a fix-it guy. And here's one situation he can't fix. So now that's why he's so exasperated. Are you kidding me? The greatest thing a husband can feel is like, I have provided a home, a nest, everything that my wife wants. She is satisfied. She's happy. She loves it here. That's, man, that makes a man, that fills a man's tank. And right now, Rachel's like, you're not doing it. I'd rather die than live in the situation I am right now. So Jacob just throws up his hand. Ah! So then here's what happens. Rachel's like, okay, Jacob, let's have a talk. Come to the living room. Comes to the living room. Okay. Um, what I'm going to suggest to you right now, Jacob, may not be exactly moral. Jacob's like, hmm, okay, tracking with you. All right, you know that I'm barren. Yeah, I know you're barren. You know that that really bothers me. I know it upsets you, yes. Don't you want to fix that for me somehow? Yeah, you know, I really would like to. Okay. See the corner over there? That's Bill Ha. Sexy name. That's Bill Ha. Why don't you take her, have kids with her, and then the kids that she has will be mine and it'll fix my problem. Hmm, okay. And he does it. And does it fix the problem? No, it doesn't fix the problem. It now makes the problem worse and worse and worse. And the echoes of chapter 30 are gonna go through the rest of Genesis. In fact, they're gonna go through the rest of the Old Testament, The echoes of these decisions that they're making right now, no prayer, there's not, hey, God, let's pray about this. When Rebecca faced barrenness, she prayed. Jacob, or Isaac, Jacob's dad prayed. Here, none of that. There's not praying, there's not seeking God. It's, we're gonna solve this on our own. And they end up making really, really bad decisions. So when I face situations like this, okay, a conundrum, I've never had that, that, this identical problem. I have five children that I look at Charity and she gets pregnant, I think. I mean, it's like, uh So I haven't had this issue, but there are times when I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I do something really simple now. I pull out a piece of paper. I make two lists. I make one list on the side and it's just, I just say can't, things I can't control. Can't control a woman's barrenness. There are a lot of things that I can't control. I just write those all down on that side. And then on the other list, I write can. What can I do in this situation? What should I be doing in this situation? How can I be motivated by this situation? What can I learn from this situation? The can't list becomes my prayer list. Okay, God, I can't do anything about this stuff. There's nothing I can do here. It just becomes my prayer list. The can do list becomes my, all right, in the meantime, these are the things that I'm going to be about right now. I found that's the most peace giving thing I can ever do. Can't list, pray. Can list, okay, I'm gonna be doing this, keeping myself busy until God starts answering some of these things over here. That's what I do now all the time. It is so beneficial to me. And we keep bumping into this issue in Genesis and we'll keep bumping into it. And I talked a little bit about it on Sunday, but it's this, like. They're making these stupid decisions and God just lets them do it, right? Why isn't God like giving Jacob a dream in the middle of the night? Dude, don't take Bilhah. Don't do it. You're just gonna make things worse. God doesn't do it. It's like he allows things to keep progressing in the wrong direction. Why? Why? Right, We, we can say, ask the exact same question today, like why, why does God do this? We know God's plan is Genesis chapter two, one man, one woman. Now you've got one man, four women, not God's best. So why doesn't God step in to his covenant people and be like, hey, stop it? Why not? Here's what I think. I think God acts like both a mom and a dad. Here's what I mean. So moms and dads do discipline differently, don't we? We just see things way differently. I'll explain it like this. Last Thursday, at a soccer match, uh, Hidden Valley, my two older daughters are playing soccer for Hidden Valley. Went to the game. While they're there, Myron, my four-year-old, there was this goal that was kind of set aside over by us. And the goal is tall, it's probably eight, nine feet tall. He somehow climbed up onto the top of the goal. He's up there like just sitting up there. Hey, dad, look at me. And Charity notices this. I don't, I'm into the game. She's like, Matt, honey, go over, deal with Myron. Go tell Myron to get down. As a dad, I wouldn't do that. But I know this, listen to your wife. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I go over and Myron's way up there. I'm like, Myron, hey, come down. Uh, Your mom said you might fall off there. And Myron just goes, dad, I'm not gonna fall. Come on, I'm awesome. Are you kidding me? I'm like, buddy, oh man, you hurt too much. I said, your mom said you gotta get down, you gotta get down. So it took him like half an hour to get down and I'm sitting there, okay, get down. All right, so off we go. All right, that's a mom. A mom sees something, warns about it. Don't do this, look out. All right, fast forward to Monday. I get there with Myron Elijah early. There's another soccer game. Same spot, same everything. Charity's late. Guess what Myron does? And he finds that soccer goal. Jimmy's right up the soccer goal. I look at him, guess what I did? Turned around and kept watching the game. Couple minutes later, Myron comes limping over to me. "Ah, ah." I said, buddy, what happened? I fell off the soccer goal. Yeah, okay. I thought that would happen. Guess what he didn't do from that point on? He didn't climb up the soccer goal anymore, right? It takes that. All right, I think God does both. Sometimes God with his word and with people and with wisdom warns us Don't climb up that soccer goal. But for some of us, we gotta climb up the soccer goal and God just steps back, I think at times, and says, okay, Matt, it's gonna fall, you're gonna fall, and it's gonna hurt. But then, and then, you'll learn that's not the way to do it. So I think very often, God gives us his word and God gives us counsel and God gives us friendships to try to do the mom way, if you would, to say, hey, look out for that. But if we keep pushing, God will let us climb up the soccer goal until we fall down and hurt ourselves and learn that way. That's why to me, being in God's word is so important. It is the number one way I learn without falling and hurting myself. I've noticed over the course of, I've been following Jesus since 1992. I've noticed over the course of that time, 25 years, that more and more, as I just read through God's word and allow it to kind of shape the way I see the world, I notice more and more I don't climb up the soccer goals anymore. Like, I, no, I'm not doing that. I'm learning sometimes because I've climbed up the soccer goal, but a lot of times just simply because I start seeing wisdom in the way that God has orchestrated things. It's like Psalm 119 How shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed. God's Word. As you read it, as you start seeing how things are shaped, how you see the system that's in place, it just forms you in a new way. It's, your mind is being renewed, as Romans chapter 12 would say. Learn the easy way. Don't learn like Myron. Don't climb and fall down. Learn, study, read. Let your mind be shaped by this book. And Genesis, for me, has been so good in that way. So now we have things getting worse, and they're going to keep getting worse, Verse 14, in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have stolen away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Not a happy family here, is it? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. It's a, it appears Rachel is the gatekeeper to Jacob and any kind of relationship. So she's able to kind of control that whole thing. Verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, <laughs> for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. One of the most awkward verses in the entire Bible. I mean, talk about no romance. I bought you, get in bed. (laughs) I mean, just wow, this is awesome. And God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. (laughs) Man, she's winning. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, which literally means wages or cash money. Goes on to be a rap star or something. How would you like that for a name? Wages, cash money, come here. And Leah conceived again. I mean, this girl is crazy. And she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, May Yahweh add to me another son. It's crazy. So Leah gets pregnant again and again because she hires Jacob with these mandrakes. They're called, the, the, well, one translation, sex apples. And they're some kind of something, that they have narcotics in them. They're an aphrodisiac or thought to be an aphrodisiac. We have crazy things today that we think are aphrodisiacs. It's the same kind of idea. So she uses those to hire Jacob and she gets two sons out of the deal, All Right? Then finally, Rachel gets a son. How's it make her feel? She names the son, can I get one more? That's Joseph. God, can you give me one more, right? I finally have a son. God, can I get one more? I'm losing still, it's six to one. God, come on, I gotta get some more sons. It doesn't work, it doesn't make her happy, right? Envy is a greedy thief. If you are living your life based on the emotion of envy, it will never, ever be satisfied, never. So what we have now is Jacob, who can't fix his life, Leah, who can't find love, and Rachel, who can't fix her malfunctioning womb right? Messed up crew. Totally messed up crew. And this, this is the group that God is going to use to reclaim the humans and rebuild planet earth. This is the group right here. His reclamation project for planet earth is going through this totally malfunctioning, screwed up family. Doesn't that give you hope? (laughs) It should, man. Whose family is as bad as this in here? Who's like, well, I'm a little worse than that, actually. (laughs) Nobody, right? I mean, this is a train wreck of a family. And this is the family God's saying, okay, Genesis 12, one through three, my blessing to all the earth is going to come through this group of people. I don't care who you are or where you came from. You should say, I can take hope then. Wow, if God can use these guys, I can take hope, right? So let's go on. Verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination, not sure if it was by divination or by his bank account, that Yahweh has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and Yahweh has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I love that. If you'll do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, sold, (laughs) let it be done. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons and set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastored the rest of Laban's flock. We looked at this on Sunday. Uh, Two quick notes on it. Verse 25 is a key. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said, I'm out of here. The reason was, back in this day, if you married a woman and she did not produce sons for you, you could just say, I'm done with you and move on to the next one. So now that Rachel has produced a son, Laban knows, Rachel's dad, okay, Jacob's not gonna just get rid of her. So now there is an attachment. And so he's like, okay, here's my chance. I want to get out of here. What I love in this is Jacob and his work ethic. Jacob tries to resign, and what happens? Please don't. I saw the coolest resignation letter just yesterday. Uh, A guy took a card. The front of it looked like a card you would send to somebody if they lost, a loved one. It said, I'm so sorry for your loss. You open it, and it was like, I'm putting in my two weeks notice, signed Barry. I thought, that's brilliant. (laughs) I'm sorry for your loss. I'm out of here. You resign from your work. What do they say to you? Did they say goodbye? Or do they say, oh, name your wage. You're way too important. Please don't go. I'm begging you to stay. That's what happens to Jacob right here. Jacob, for all his faults and all his failures and all his stupidity, he is a hard-working man and he has made Laban a ton of money. I love that. I love that. I think believers in Jesus Christ should be the best workers on any work side because we don't just work for our boss. Colossians 3.23 says, work hardly as unto the Lord. We're working for our King. And we have this witness. And the witness of how you and I work is one of the biggest witnesses we'll ever have in life. One of the biggest. I think my entire life is a witness. Whatever I'm doing, it's always to be a witness. So if I go out to eat with somebody, and if I pull out my Bible, or if I talk about Jesus, I always make sure and tip bigger, every time, because it's a witness to me, it's a witness. Well, Matt, if that's true, then I'm not talking about Jesus anymore at lunch, forget it. It's a way we should be looking at as ambassadors of our king. Every aspect, the way I work, the way I eat, the way I am as a neighbor, all those things are a witness. Because honestly, few unbelievers ever read the Bible. What they do is they read the believer. If I want to know what the Bible is about, I just want to look at you, how you work, how you tip, how you treat people. Is the fruit of the spirit coming through you? Are you loving God and loving your neighbor? How's that? Because that's the Bible that I want to read. And people all the time are looking at you and me. Jacob, while he gets a lot of things wrong when it comes to his work ethic, brilliant and awesome. I pray that can be said of every believer in here, that whoever we work for would say, name your wage. I gotta keep you, like Jacob. All right, so concludes by Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar, verse 37, almond, plain trees, peeled the white streaks in them, exposing the whites of the sticks, he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the stripes. And so the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted. So all the flocks would come together in a watering hole and they would get frisky, right? Same thing happens today on Friday night. People come to the watering hole and they act like animals. So he knew that, realized, okay, I'm gonna use this um, Jacob separated the sheep, or the lamb set the face of the flocks toward the stripe and all the black in the flock to Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and he had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. Sunday, simple message. You can't be cheated out of what God has for you, no matter how evil the Laban may be. Tried to cheat him with a wife, he ends up with four. Tried to cheat him out of kids, he ends up with 12. Tried to cheat him out of lambs and livestock, he ends up with more than anyone else. So quickly, it, the, the chapter delineation is wrong. The story goes on. Now, verse, 30, verse one of chapter 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then Yahweh said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. Envy strikes again. This time, the sons of Laban see how successful Jacob's become, and they start saying, Oh, our dear, kind old dad is being robbed by Jacob. That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? Because they knew what Laban had done to Jacob. Because when Laban took all the flocks that were supposed to go to Jacob, who did, who did Laban give them to? To them. They knew their dad. They knew he was a cheat and a liar and a thief. But now they have this idea that, oh, we're envious because he's succeeding. I have a saying on this, and it deals with money and family. If you are thinking about getting into business with family, be very, very careful. They really don't mix. And I've given this advice to people that are, hey, I'm have this idea about this with my brother-in-law or with this. I say this, think about it this way. Family and money. If you're gonna get in business together, think about this. Choose the one you wanna keep because you're not gonna keep both. You're either gonna keep the money or you're gonna keep the family and you're gonna have to give more money because that's just the way it works. Very seldom do family businesses work well. Usually something like this happens right here. Now, there are exceptions, no doubt. But for a general rule, be super careful, super careful. If there's family and money, if you're going into it, say, well, I'll give up money because it's my family. Then you can make it work. If not, be very careful. Here, it goes down. And God uses this now, uses the poke and the prod and the envy and the problems and the issues to get Jacob back to where he belongs, the promised land. When I'm being poked and prodded, and there's envy, or there's issues, and there's this just kind of discomfort in life, it's then that I really begin to say, God, are you trying to move me? Are you trying to move me? Because I'm not feeling settled. I'm not feeling like I'm supposed to be here right now. I'm feeling like I should be moving. And very often, that's what God is doing. So I think God actually just allows these things to happen because he wants Jacob to move back to the promised land. And this is the the poke in his rib that gets him moving. So God says, go home. So verse four, here's where it finally gets good. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. I love that. Remember, we've seen so many conversations in the tent and they're always overheard. Right? Jacob remembers this with his dad and his mom. So what does he do now? He's like, tell my wives to come out in the middle of this field where no one can hear us. We're talking out in the field. So he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. I pray that I can say that wherever I do and whatever I'm involved in. I've done this with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the stripe shall be your wages, then all the flock bore stripe. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Jacob knew it's not my peeled sticks and that kind of thing that's doing this. God's doing it. God's the one that's making me successful. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes, And see, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then, verse 14, Rachel and Leah answered and said, "'Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house?' Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Wow, right? Do you notice the change? In these verses... Do you see how many times they've mentioned God? Like it's been just crazy, their ideas, their things, their conversations just chaos. And then all of a sudden in these verses, God is mentioned seven times. God did this, God directed us, do what God's telling you to do just over and over and over again. Leah and Rachel have been at each other, competition, baby wars, not liking each other, envious, jealous. For the first time in our story, they agree with each other they're united. Isn't that awesome? Chapter 30's envy and lies and mess and stealing and all that gross stuff has just vanished. And something amazing is happening right here. So what just happened? I I think it's this. So I have two pictures. Maybe we can get the screen down. I've used these before. I just love them. Um, I think it helps illustrate my point. If you can see them You like that picture? I love it. Because like, even the dog is like, dude, you're guilty, right? The dog's like, you, you did this. Look what you did to me. Like, (laughs) I love it, right? And any parent could have this picture. Like I could have pictures of this, of my kids, but it's much better on stage to shame someone else's kids, especially if they post it on Instagram. So hey, there it is for the world to see, right? So he's blown it, he's made a mess, Dog's mad at him, mom's mad at him, he's mad at himself, right? A lot of us can feel like this little kid. Like, oh, man, I just made a complete mess of my life. Even my dog is mad at me. Man's best friend is mad at me right now. He's blaming me. We don't feel like that, okay? But here's my next picture. How about that? You got the mess of a kid and then look what someone did with the mess. To me, that's God's work right there. We take our crayons and we take our ideas and we just make messes of things. And that's what you see in chapter 30. Just man's mess. Mess, 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 mess. But then all of a sudden, God steps in and God can do great things with messy people. And that's what he's doing right here. He's starting to turn them, he's starting to reform them, he's starting to change them. And out of their scrawly, crazy lives, he's gonna start painting a portrait. That's incredible. It's like Ephesians 2.10. That verse says this, that we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship is the Greek word poema. Perhaps you've heard that before. It literally speaks of like what an artist would make, a painting, a portrait, or my favorite is a tapestry, like a woven tapestry. And if you've ever watched somebody weave a tapestry together, you know this, they'll be working on one side, and one side of it will just be knotted and frayed and there are strands sticking out and it's chaotic and you cannot tell what that side is. But then they flip it over. And on the other side, what do you see? It's beautiful. To me, that's what happened in chapters 30 and 31. It's like the knotted, crazy, oh my goodness. And then God in chapter 31 just flips it. And all of a sudden you say, hey, do whatever God's telling you to do. Hey, let's go back to the promised land. Hey, we're united now. what did they do? What did this crazy, broken, messed up family, what, what did they do other than make the mess on the wall? What's the one thing that they do in this chapter that's right? They trust and obey, right? God speaks to Jacob. He's like, okay, I'm trusting you, God, that I need to leave. I'm grabbing my wives. I'm gonna talk with them. And then the wives, what do they say? Now, whatever God has told you to do, do. They trust and they obey. I'm telling you, that is the story of the Bible. That's the entire, if you get that right there, trust God and obey what he tells you to do, you've got the Bible. It's that simple. That's how the script gets flipped. For the first time, I think, in this family's history, they're finally saying, okay, God, we're gonna trust you. We see all that you've done for us in the past. We're, we're kind of recounting, like we're going over our journal and we're looking at our notes. We're like, wow, God, you've been really good to us. So if you're telling us to do this, we'll, we'll leave all this and, and, and we'll set out then and we'll obey what you're telling us. We're going to trust and obey. And the script gets flipped. That's, that's the big story of the Bible. The rest is the details. God wants us to trust him that he's a good, generous father. And in that trust, we obey him, and that's the Bible. And that's what we're gonna begin to see more and more and more is what God is gonna want out of his people in Genesis. Trust and obey, because there's no better way. So Jesus, I pray for each of us in here tonight Maybe we're like Myron, my son, and we keep climbing up on the goalpost. I pray that tonight we could learn by not falling, by trusting and obeying your voice and your way. I pray for any in here tonight who have just scrawled all over their lives who have lived in chapter 30 for a long, long time, who have questioned whether they can ever be used by you or blessed by you, I pray that they would see in chapter 31 how you can flip the script, how you can flip over the tapestry and reveal the incredible good things that you're doing, how you're taking our mess our crooked lines and how you draw straight with them. How you can unmess each one of us. And I pray that each of us that have seen that this night, that we would trust you and obey you. That tomorrow would be marked by trusting you and obeying you. That's simple. So I ask, the Lord, for your spirit, your enlivening, empowering spirit to come into our hearts this night and empower your scripture, this narrative, this story that's teaching us and shaping us, that your spirit would now hover over that good seed and empower us to be the kind of people that trust and obey. And I pray this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.